It doesn't matter the arena. We all love a good debate about who's the greatest. But all the things we think define greatness, they pale in comparison to Jesus. Greatness is something more. It's in his strength and in his way. He is the one in whom we can trust. The one who is enough. Our faithful guide and savior, Jesus is Lord. The greatest of all time. Well, boy, it's really good to see you, Northside. Everybody doing okay this morning? Great to be here. Great to be back. We always want to take a moment, especially now in the season that we're in, and welcome everybody online. Would you make them feel really welcome? Really glad you guys are here. It's going to be a great time together. What a weekend and what a strategy turning the clock back an hour. Boy, that feels good. I'm going to do it next Saturday night, too. I think that there's just something about that. This is quite a weekend, isn't it, when you stop and think about everything going on with Halloween last night going on and, and, the, and the time change and all of that. Uh, today we're in Halloween recovery, all right? What are you going to do with the candy? Uh, it's always a dilemma on that. And of all things, uh, a beautiful weekend, but, but yet this is the last weekend before the election. And we're fully aware of that. And at the end of our, our, uh, our time, at the end of the message, we'll have a little prayer time for all of us and certainly for, for that situation. But uh, I'm just so glad you guys are here and so thankful we have this opportunity, whether we're in the room or, or whether we're online, to encourage one another and just know that God is on the throne and he's going to do what he's going to do. And our hope and our trust is in him. So it's wonderful to be able to be together and dive in. And the series that Nate came up with on this uh, uh, goat thing of the greatest of all time and to look at all the different things about Jesus and see how great he is and what he's done. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you have one, uh, uh, with you today. And if, if not, if you're at home, go ahead and dig one out there or on, on your phone, whatever you might have. And we'll get to Hebrews 6, which our passage will be uh, verses 13 through 20. Uh, but we'll, we'll probably uh, jump around a little bit here there, but that'll be where we'll live this morning. And, and to be able to take a look at understanding that, uh, just as, as Nate said in the intro, our focus this weekend is on what type of an anchor we have in our life to keep us from drifting away and, and what type of access we have to God and what Jesus has done for all of us. Now, I love this book of Hebrews. It's really neat. Uh, I love the imagery of the Old Testament. I love uh, all the things about it. And I find a little bit of a pattern in the book of Hebrews where there's a reminding and an encouraging and a warning and what I would call an exhorting. A reminding is, now don't forget, don't forget what happened in the Old Testament. You hear that a lot. And encouraging, you can do this, you can do this. And then a little bit of warning, don't ever go back down that road again. And history lessons and all that that appear in the book of Hebrews. And then finally, this element of exhorting. And, and an exhortation is this kind of, all right, let's, it's beyond encouragement. Encouragement says you can. Exhortation says let's go do this. Let's, let's, let's make sure this is a priority in our life. Uh, all those different things seem to come about in this book of Hebrews. And they really need to come about in our own life to remind one another of the goodness of God, encourage one another to do the right thing, warn one another to be careful we don't go down a wrong path, and exhort one another with the us, the first person plural. Let's do this together. 
Now, in Hebrews chapter 1, it begins, let me just do a couple little verses to set the tone. Because as, as the book begins, uh, God says, Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. He has spoken. Now, God's not done moving. He's not done orchestrating. He's not done leading, but he's done talking. He let his son do the talking as he came and fully represented him. And we look at themes all throughout this book of don't drift away, don't let your heart become hardened, move from the dairy section to the meat section, get off the milk of the word of God and dig into some of the deeper things. Uh, realize Jesus is our greatest high priest. His sacrifice was once and for all. So stay faithful and stay focused and be encouraged be encouraged, be encouraged. It's almost like when we read the book of Philippians, you hear Paul say, rejoice in the Lord, I'll say it again, rejoice. And it, it's like that's one thing they really needed to know and to have. Now, some people question some things about the authorship of the book of Hebrews and because it's anonymous. We really don't know who wrote that, but it was so widely accepted and so much in the early church that they, they, they had made sure it was in the canonized version of the scriptures and the Bible together. Some people say it was Peter, others say it was Paul, some say Luke, some say could have been Priscilla, some say Barnabas. The people that say uh, it was Paul, well, it's kind of hard because Paul always identified himself because his apostleship was always under question and people are, are just throwing rocks at him all the time. Uh, the people, I, I feel sorry for Peter because most Bible scholars say, well, it's not intellectual enough for Peter. And I'm sure he appreciates that today, you know. They're not smart enough, you know. Uh, some say maybe Luke, but Luke was a Gentile and this appears to have such Jewish imagery. It could have been Priscilla. She was an early New Testament encourager, pulled Apollos aside one time. She and her husband Aquila and kind of straightened him out, not in any bad way, just say, hey, here's a couple of things you haven't heard that God's doing and, and made sure everybody was up to snuff. But I have to admit, it's, it's not a test of fellowship and it, uh, it doesn't really matter right or wrong because we're just guessing. But I just see Barnabas all throughout this book. Anybody remember what his nickname was? The son of encouragement. You want to fill in that blank really quick. Son of encouragement, all right? Now understand that he was one who would come and let people know what they needed to do to stay close to God. So with that in mind, that this is all about encouragement, I want to ask you as we read the Word of God today, as we listen to what He will say, and my prayer has always been every time I would speak, whether it was here or over the Centrum or back on Grantline Road, and even a few times before that, God... Let the people hear your voice much louder than my voice today. Amen. I want him uh, to, to speak to you. I want you to hear from him and dodge some of the words or the attempts that I'll have to be cute, clever, or make sense, or give something memorable because what he puts in your heart today from his word is what can never be taken away. Now, verses 13, 14, he begins and says, for example... Uh, there was God's promise to Abraham, since no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you and multiply your descendants beyond number. Now, to understand the context, uh, to help the Hebrew people who were Jewish and, and yet they had become followers of Christ, but yet they had all this Jewish mentality with them. When the persecution comes and, and, and times like now that are very uh, distraughting uh, that we're going through with the COVID situation and they had all sorts of frustrations and things going on and all of a sudden they just think, wait a second, I, maybe I was better off back there. 
And he says, no, 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 please understand, all of this was foundational. And I want to ask you to take a look with me, just to, you, no need to turn to it, it'll appear on the screen. But it's the context of blessing. And to know that God really wants to bless you, and has blessed you, and will but he began it with Abraham in Genesis 12, the first three verses. The Lord said to Abram, leave your mother, pardon me, your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Go to the land. I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you, make you famous. You'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Would you read that last phrase with me? And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, one more time, but substitute people groups for family. And all the people groups will be blessed through you. All the ethnicities, all the cultures, the whole world, God told Abraham, will be blessed. I'm the one doing the blessing, but it's going to go through you. I remember an old hymn grew up on, some of you might remember, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. It's a good thing to count our blessings, but I want to make a first point today with a little bit of a twist. Understanding the purpose of our blessing, personally, family, community, nationally, globally, could it be that we're not so much to count our blessings? I would even say today, be careful we don't get caught in the accumulating and counting our blessings, but maybe God has called us to make our blessings count. To make the things that he's done in our heart and life be able to be a blessing to other people. What a blessing it is when somebody does something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. What a blessing it was to be for Abraham and, and to reach out to all those other non-believing pagan groups around with, with the truth and with love and with generosity, and yet they, they were attacked on so many different levels. God says, I'm going to be in front, I'm going to be behind, I'm going to protect you, but I want to bless other nations, I want to bless other people, but I'm not going to do it apart from you, Abraham. And I believe he would say that to us as the church, as Christian people in the world in which we live, God intends to bless others through us with the truth that we've been given. Now, to whom much is given, much is required. It took Abraham a little while to understand I'm supposed to funnel, not tunnel the blessings and hoard them up over here. And it might just be that our health and our wealth and our wisdom and our time and our relationships are to be shared for God's purpose. Anytime we talk about God's purpose and his will, it's a great question to say, well, what does God really want to have happen right now in the world anyway? The same thing he has always wanted to have happen. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. The hope today is beyond this life. Would you say that with me? The hope today is beyond this life. Anything less is a good thing and a humanitarian effort. But if we don't do all we can to help people find a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, then I haven't done what I've been called to do in the church 
has neglected that blessing and letting that flow through us to other people. It, it seemed like in the Old Testament, uh, God always wanted to bless some other group. And, and, and Abraham, well, he kind of struggled and other people struggled. It was almost by the time you get to Esther and they're in exile and, and here she's in the land of Persia and God blesses the Persian country because she stands up for who God is. And, and it's a time that God says, that's kind of what I'm talking about. I want to bless other people, but I want to be able to do it through through you. Esther was a tremendous example. A real simple way to remember her. She remembered who she was. She shared what she had, and she went for broke. She risked the whole thing. And verse 15 says, Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Okay, boy, isn't that easy just to wait patiently? How many have learned don't really pray for patience, you know? It's, it's very difficult because the moment you do, God says, okay, we'll see how you deal with this. Because sometimes it's the hardship to build endurance and to build character and build patience in our life. He had a few hiccups. Abraham did. Moses had some hiccups, killed an Egyptian in anger. David had a few hiccups along the way and fell off the bike a time or two with adultery and morality and, and uh, hiding things from God and and uh, murder, all sorts of stuff. And for all of us, we want to wait patiently on God. If he's going to become our anchor, we want to wait on him, not run ahead of him. But let me suggest today, you can wait patiently, but most likely not perfectly. We don't want to give ourselves license to sin, but we want to be able to receive the grace that God gives to us when we don't do everything we know that we should have done. When we fall short of his glory. This COVID dilemma and all the tension that is going on with that, it, it affects, it affects, it affects. It, it, it brings about fear. It brings about frustration. It brings about fatigue. There's all sorts of different things about that. The only chuckle I think We've had, <laughs> our family has had, with the COVID situation. It's been the other day when uh, uh, Rachel's little boy, she's in the process of adopting uh, Isaiah. Uh, Sue Lynn was FaceTiming with him. And she said, I wish I could just give you a little hug. He says, oh, no, oh, no. I might have the virus. <laughs> he said, might have the corona. You know, he's got that little speech thing going on. That's about the only chuckle you get, though, is when something maybe is in that light. But you, you look at what has gone on and look at, at things in our life and the adjustment and all the uh, things we have to do to take care of that. I had a good friend who's a great counselor, and he said, I've been talking with a lot of ministers. He says, I, and I'm, I'm sensing there's just a lack of the fruit of the Spirit in people's lives in these past seven or eight months. In other words, you think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's a reason self-control always comes in last, at least in my life. And, and all those things that are, are the fruit of God's Spirit in our life. And, and if you are honest, and I am as well, are we more loving this, these last few months? Eh, struggling a little bit. Are we more joyful these last few months? Maybe not as much. Are we more patient? <laughs> Next question. It's a, it's a struggle. And yet Abraham waited patiently as he allowed God to become the anchor in his life. Now the next verse, in 16 and 17, it says, 
Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure he'd never change his mind. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Now notice how much trouble God goes to, to say, I promise to bless you, going to bless the world, it's going to be through you. I promise to, to, to make sure that you know I'm with you, but he can't appeal to anyone higher than him. There is no one higher than him. And he says, I just want you to be able to rest assured. I want you to know deep within your heart that I'm going to be with you, God says. He doubles down on his promise with an oath by his own name. Uh, if you ever happen to watch the movie Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind, she has a moment where she goes back and the, her home area is just uh, bombed completely, uh, torn apart by the Civil War. She's exhausted. She's been doing a lot of medical care for uh, soldiers. And she, she comes there and, and her mother's passed away. And they, in the old days, the funeral are just right there in the home. And her, her dad is pretty much insane from the madness and the grief of the war. And uh, everything's just torn up all around over the, the whole yard, the whole acreage, everything. And she's pretty well starving. She goes out to the garden, looks for some type of root vegetable, can't hardly find a thing. And in that moment of just desperation to get some form of, of nutrition, she grabs some kind of a, of, a, of a root plant and it starts to eat that. And, and then all of a sudden she has a moment, she grabs a handful of dirt and she shakes her fist up to heaven and says, as God is my witness, I will never go hungry again. She, she makes an appeal to heaven, pretty hostile, pretty hurt, pretty uh, uh, critical of God, it seems like. And she, be, she was an opportunist up to then, and she becomes even more of an opportunist after that. But she made an appeal to say, I really mean it this time. I'm never going to let this happen in my life again. And God says, I don't have anybody to appeal to, but I'm telling you, I'm going to be with you. I want you to know beyond the shadow of a doubt, I will never leave you or forsake you. God went out of his way to verify, to validate our hope. And I, I look at that and I think sometimes in our lives we even wonder ourselves and we think, gosh, I hope I've been good enough. I, I've tried my best, the Lord here. And, and sometimes we get caught thinking it is about our performance and it's about things that we do. And, and please always remember we're saved by God's grace through our faith. That's our response. But we're saved for good works, not by good works. It's so that we might be able to do what he's called us to do. And God says, I want you to never wonder, never worry about that. I'm going to be with you no matter what. No matter what happens in this life, you know I'm with you. 1 John 5.13 simply says, these things have been written so that you might know that you have eternal life in him. You can know today. You can know. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. He wants us to rest assured. He will fulfill his promise. My dad's in the nursing home just up the road half an hour. And uh, visitation, of course, is very, very limited. And uh, uh, so I, I 
talk through the, the window a time or two and try to catch him on the phone. Hard thing is, you know, his hearing's pretty rough, can't hear thunder, so you got to holler, you know, all, all that type of a thing. But uh, I remember a few months ago when I did get to go up and see him, uh, I took a few friends with us from here. We were doing a few songs, and, and one, one of the guys up there named Tom, he's, he's a good guy. And we just said, okay, uh, how, how many got a favorite song, church song you want us to sing? And, and Tom just hollers out, blessed assurance. And I thought, that's a great song, Tom. All right, boys, we're in E, in the neighborhood of E. Here we go. And, and uh, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And we go through a couple of verses of that. I look at over Tom, and he's had a, a main water line break. He's crying like a baby over there. And back when you could go up and give him a little hit on the shoulder, or a elbow, or a hug, and just say, God bless you, Tom. He said, that's my favorite song. That needs to be our favorite song. The assurance that God gives you and me today because of his son is something we can anchor our life upon. Now, my question would be, do you have that assurance? Are you singing that song? We're not going to be waiting perfectly, but hopefully we can wait patiently on the blessing of God all throughout our life. And hopefully we can make these blessings count rather than just accumulate. Now, here comes the imagery in verse 18 and 19, this imagery of understanding what an anchor is and what access is for us in being in God's presence. It says, therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Now, in this passage, we've got three images, the image of, of fleeing, those who have fled to him uh, for refuge, the image of an anchor and the image of a curtain. It's not just rest assured, but it's get secured. And today God might be calling you to make sure that you're secure in him. The, the imagery of fleeing for refuge is understanding that you have to leave something to get somewhere else. You want to steal second base, you've got to have a good leadoff on first. You have to be willing to risk that. And, and those people had left Judaism, and they had followed Jesus as the Messiah and held on to him. Always remember the, the Greek word for church uh, is ekklesia, and it means those who are called out. You've been called out. You have left what you were doing this morning and you're here or you're tuning in and making sure you're a part of this worship time and study time all together in prayer time. You have left something to be somewhere else and to make sure you're a part of that. Those people had fled and they held on to him because he was the only one they could hold on to. I love what Chuck Swindoll did years ago. He has a great book called Strike the Original Match about marriage. And he says, you got to understand there's a tremendous parallel in, in marriage and, and growth and closeness there and our spiritual walk. He says, if you look at Genesis 2, 24 and 25, he says, you can see it really clearly. There's four words he said, I want to put on that. Uh, a pardon me, a man will leave his father and mother and he will cling to his wife and they'll become one flesh. And then verse 25 says, they were naked and not ashamed, leaving, cleaving, 
becoming one, vulnerable, naked and not ashamed, accepting. He says there is severance, there is permanence, there's unity, and there's intimacy. But it begins with severance. It begins with the leaving a family to begin another. Oh, you don't have to turn your back on them. It just changes it a little bit so you can become a whole new family together. And then becoming one, that takes some time. Trust me, it takes a little while before you start finishing each other's sentences, but it happens. It happens. It's going to happen. It takes a little bit of time there of becoming one. And, and in that passage, there's a tremendous parallel of understanding what letting go to fully embrace looks like. Well, that's the image of fleeing. What's the image of the anchor? Well, the purpose of an anchor, and there's a picture that's going to pop up there, uh, just to, to look and to see the, the, the massiveness of an anchor for a, a large ship and to see, I mean, they can weigh tons. I, I, I looked up a little information on it, and, and one of the heaviest uh, ones, of, of just a ton of tons, but the chain link weight was what caught my attention. The, the link and the chain on, on one specific anchor was 500 pounds per link, per link. And to think, what type of strength does it take to be able to anchor some type of craft like that? And to understand why is it really necessary to be anchored, and they say there's basically three reasons. One is rough seas. If you're in, in some rough waters, you're, you're going to have to be anchored really good. Another thing is thick fog. When you're coming into the harbor and you really can't see and you can't quite tell where you're supposed to be, another thing is a low tide and you may get hung up there and hit ground if you can't really tell. So the importance of having an anchor to do a couple of things, one is to stabilize you, that makes sense, so you won't drift away. There's a lot of imagery in the Bible about that. James chapter 1 says, when you ask God for wisdom, don't be double-minded. Ask and believe, or you're going to be like somebody tossed around on, uh, like on the winds of the sea. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, he said, the last days, there's going to be people floating all over the map. They're, they're, they're going to have itching ears. They want to hear a new thing and this, and they don't know what to believe. And this, you know, just kind of like a Diet, is it this? Is it low-cal? Is it low-carb? And as soon as they come out with a keto burrito, I'm in, okay? You know, what really is it? We, we find ourselves all over the map looking at that. Ephesians 4 says, God doesn't want you to be any longer tossed around by every wind of doctrine and every teaching here and there. We're to be stabilized. And Jesus is the greatest stabilizer we can ever have. But there's something else about an anchor I didn't realize. And I found out that there's more to that anchor. It's something that can happen when you, you're in such rough seas, but you're close to the harbor and you need to get there. And if you have a smaller ship with you that can somehow drag and take that anchor and get it farther out ahead of you, and then the anchor is dropped there, how far, thousand, thousand, however far it is. When it's dropped over there, that can help you get where you need to get. You drop that anchor far away and beyond where you are now, and then you can winch your way in. See, that's the image. And that's the image that, that God gives us to understand to lead to the next image. Have we fled to him for refuge? 
Or are you hoping for something else to get you through? Have we anchored in his grace? Are we hoping maybe God just grades on the curve? The next image is Jesus goes through this curtain. And in Jewish imagery in the tabernacle and in the temple at that different season, there's this huge thick curtain that was called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. Ark of the Covenant is in there. High priest could go in one time a year. If the high priest messed up, God strikes him dead. So they would literally tie a rope on his ankle because if Charlie messed up, nobody's going in for him, all right? And they're going to pull him on out. It is a very scary, reverent, holy, it is the most holy place. And after the high priest had sacrificed for himself and then sacrificed for the people, he goes into the presence of God one time a year. It's that imagery, understanding that Jesus, while he was on the cross, as he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, as he died, that veil, that curtain in the temple, ripped from the top to the bottom, signifying now, now, now. Now you can come into his presence because he is our high priest. The verse 20 says Jesus has already gone in there for us. He's become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Who in the world is this guy? He's a fellow in the Old Testament long before the priests came about with Aaron who, who simply was one who came from Salem as Abraham's coming home after a great victory lap rescuing Lot and all of his household after being kidnapped and and Melchizedek, who's a priest of the Most High God, and Abraham didn't know him. Abraham thought, I thought I was the only guy God was talking to. And all of a sudden, he says, blessed be you, Abraham, da-da-da-da, you've had a mighty victory today, da-da-da-da-da. And I'm sure at that point, he said, yeah, 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 thanks, okay. But he said, and blessed be God Almighty who gave you this victory. And Abraham, oh, you know him too. You know what Abraham did at that moment? reached in his pocket, and he gave a tenth of all he had. It was the first biblical record of a tithe. You see, when we realize how good God has been to us, how he has delivered us, what else can we do? So all through Jewish history, this Melchizedek was noted a guy that came out of nowhere and yet was a high priest. And Jesus is now our high priest. So my final point Use your backstage pass. God says, because Jesus has, has come into me with this perfect life that's been offered and sacrificed, he now has opened the curtain for you and me and those of us who have faith in him to believe and to come into his presence. Listen to what later on in Hebrews chapter 10 says. So, dear brothers, sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let's go right into his presence, into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. I think, why? It seems a little redundant. Can't you just say your sins are forgiven? Go on. No. 
There's a little more to it than that. There's a little deeper cleansing. You see, there are sins of the mind and there are sins of the body. And they needed to be forgiven of both and we need to be forgiven of both. What a wonderful picture of cleansing and purity and holiness. And that's what Jesus did. He is our anchor that can draw us into the harbor and he's the one who has gone through the curtain before us so we can live in the presence of God. They, in the Old Testament, didn't know what that felt like. They just had to wait for God to show up. Now God waits for us to show up and live our life in fellowship with him. Now, we mentioned at the beginning, we want to end with a prayer time. We mentioned it's quite a weekend a weekend of an added hour of sleep, Halloween recovery, and the weekend before the election in our country. A fellow by the name of David Platt wrote a book called Before You Vote. And he lists seven different questions in that book. One question I want to kind of quote a little bit from him. That, that the way he articulates question number two is he says, before any of us vote in, in our nation, he says, as believers, we need to take time to just say, who has my heart? Where is my heart really residing? Are we anchored with God? Are we in the presence through the curtain, in the very presence of God? Are we living our life that way? And he says, please remember, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So our trust and salvation and allegiance has to be all to him. He says, please remember, as Christians who live in America, that we're to have spiritual humility, not political hostility. He says, the mark of a follower of Christ is not always being asserting of ourself. It's a lot of times being denying of ourselves. So our hope can never be in a person, in a party, in a president, or a political agenda. Not in Donald Trump, not in Joe Biden, not in any past or future president. But our hope is in the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Now listen to what... Listen to what David says in Psalm 146. He says, don't put your confidence in powerful people. There's no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth. All their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in it. He keeps every promise forever. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoner. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows. And he frustrates the plans of the wicked. Whoever the wicked are, may God frustrate their plans on Tuesday. Amen? Whoever they are. For us to realize our identity, our anchor, our access to God is in Christ and in him alone. So before we pray, I have found through the years that it's one thing to think I know what I'm talking about. It's even one thing to think that, okay, I, th I think I have a handle on this. And it's another thing to say, but God, before I make some kind of decision, please, 
make my heart right. So I want to ask you to let me sing a little chorus, and then you join me in that. And then come with me for a time of prayer. A time that we just are before God and express our love and our trust, and we, we intervene, we intercede on behalf of our country. And then we'll sing that little chorus afterwards. It's an old one, it's an old spiritual that simply says to allow, allow our hearts to be much more like Jesus. Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart, in my heart, Lord. I want to be like Jesus in my heart, in my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart. Sing along with me if you would. Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart, in my heart, in my To be like Jesus in my heart. Let's bow right now. Let me just simply guide your prayer. Just pray that song we just sang. Lord, make our hearts like yours. Make me personally let go of the things that I know aren't holy aren't pure and right now in this moment before we pray let God change your heart to be like his son now take a moment if you would now and just lift up your own family and say God I cast my vote for you and my family. Lift them up. You know their needs. You know their worries and their fears, their frustrations, all those things. Lift up your family. Intercede on behalf of your family. I would ask you to Intercede on behalf of this church here at Northside. Like every church right now, we're all awkward, wondering how we can live out our faith and love those in our fellowship when we have limited access. So I would ask you to pray for us to be the church that loves and stands and speaks in the way that draws people to Jesus.
I don't know about you, but when I think about praying for our country, I'm so thankful for our country. So thankful for the freedom, so thankful for the, the sacrifice that has been made for us to be taken care of the way God has blessed. But in my honest moment, there's an ache in my heart for our, our people right now, our country as a whole. May you lift up the country. May you lift up the leaders of our nation. May you lift up this election so that God might be honored and that whatever the plans of any wicked might be, that he would overpower that. Lift up this country to him. Father, we pray for our hearts and lives to be faithful to you, for our families to be blessed and encouraged and to allow the blessings you give to us to flow through them. We pray for this church here at Northside. God, thank you so much for the precious lives that are here, that are, are tuning in, that are a long ways off, but call this place home. Thank you that we can love one another as much up personal and as close as we can in the midst of what's going on in our world. But use us, help us, strengthen us, empower us to reflect your love. And Father, we pray for this country, this election, and I ask that you would be honored above all, that you would be on the throne of our hearts and lives, that you would work through us in this country because you alone are God. To you alone we lift up our voice. To you alone we trust our hope, our, our, our faith, our confidence is in you alone, O oh God. Thank you for the access we have to come and talk with you together now. And the moment we leave this place, we can remain in your presence. Thank you for that. We ask your blessing as we leave. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend. Give the candy away. <laughs>